I, I wish you folks could see Randall J. Sanders counting me down, telling me to start talking here at the beginning of the podcast. Welcome into Behind the Yellow Line, number 74. Tough week of Cubs baseball. They dropped three or four at Pittsburgh, but we've got some positive things we want to talk about. Uh, really impressive starting pitching from one young pitcher for the Cubs. Certainly want to focus on that. Uh, Jeremy was out at the College World Series for the last couple of days, so we'll get his take on how things went in Omaha. Quick look at all-star voting. Wilson Contreras dominating as long as he's a Cub, should be representing the Cubs in Los Angeles. Cubs are going to St. Louis this weekend. We've got weather for that. And then one thing I definitely want to talk to you both about, we've talked a lot about Wilson Contreras in terms of being traded. And as a show, we think, yeah, he's probably on the move. Ian Happ is a guy I want to talk about tonight. We love Ian Happ. Obviously a guy that could be in business to be traded here. So we'll get our thoughts on that. And then Randall's got a couple prospect spotlights. But that's the game plan here tonight, Randall. Let it be known as we start tonight's issue of the podcast, uh, the the beginning of each podcast is the only time each week where I tell you to start talking. It is typically the opposite. Yeah, yeah. Randall has had a really bad stretch here of ignoring texts that I send in the middle of the night, and that's disappointing. You, you, you and I define bad very differently, Rona, very different definitions of bad. Well, something I'm excited about, I am a Chicago bound tomorrow, flying into the Windy City, and at least two-thirds of this podcast is going to be at Wrigley Field next week. Jeremy, you are in for Cubs Reds, our buddy Mike Vanderharst of uh, Mike TV fame. He's coming out. Randall, will we be seeing you at Wrigley Field next Wednesday? It's probably going to be difficult to pull off, but I'm not going to rule anything. I know, I know, I'm booing me too. You boo, you boo, I boo, we all boo. Uh, but I'd never rule anything out is my philosophy. We yeah, we boo, yes. Well, Randall, it's Cubs-Reds, so there's a chance that the Cubs might actually win that ball game. The pressure will be put on. We expect to see out at Wrigley Field Wednesday night. Um, but let's go back to Wrigley Field last weekend. Well, last time we recorded last week, the Cubs were on a 10-game losing streak. The defending World Series champion Atlanta Braves were on a 14-game winning streak, longest winning streak in Major League Baseball this year. So naturally, the Cubs take two out of three. And Randall, got to give you credit here. You called it last show. You said the Cubs are going to win this weekend. They win two out of three. I did indeed say that. And, you know, I'm not necessarily known as the most optimistic individual, but something about it just said the Cubs are going to break the Braves winning streak. They're going to break their own losing streak because that's baseball. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. I'll take it. Yeah, totally. Jeremy, something fueling good Cubs baseball here going back to last Friday, Keegan Thompson, six shutout innings, nine strikeouts, a rare one, nothing Cubs victory. I think we all saw that score and went, what the hell happened at Wrigley field today? Nice one there, but he backed it up then the other night with another six innings of one run ball. Keegan's been pretty hot here the last week. It's been, you know, a nice little, I would say him and Justin Steele been kind of a nice little find uh, for the Cubs so far. They've been giving these guys a, young, a chance as young arms in the rotation. And for me, I was in Omaha this past week and a year ago I was in Omaha look, following along on the Cubs, seeing what was happening. And they threw a combined no hitter. And that was a pretty crazy night. Of course, like the last great night of 2021 and today or this past weekend when Keegan was pitching, I had no cell reception for where I was sitting in the stadium. And I, when I got out, the game was over. I looked at my phone and it was one nothing Cubs over yeah. the Braves. I was like, whoa, how about that? And Keegan Thompson absolutely shoved. And he shoved again and his start uh, again. And he's starting to show and that maybe there's something there. Maybe he's not just like a reliever. He's striking guys out. He's going deeper into games. And I think 
Justin Steele today had a similar kind of stretch. He, he got beat up a little bit by uh, some errors in defense, but I like the way these two young guys are pitching in the rotation right now. And I think that's a positive sign for this team so far. Well, question for you both here. Keegan Thompson starts the year in the bullpen as the Cubs' best relief pitcher. David Robertson obviously been dominating, but Keegan was great in multi-inning roles. He's been a starter pretty consistently since the middle of May. I know we're talking Wilson All-Star game in a minute, but Randall, are you buying or selling Keegan Thompson as a National League All-Star? I'm doing both. I think I'm buying him as being worthy. I'm selling him as what will actually happen. And I know we'll get into this more later. It's very difficult to make the All-Star team as a pitcher, um, just because that's where they tend to take kind of the biggest names. And Keegan Thompson is someone who hasn't been in the rotation the entire season. There are probably more better known and more publicized candidates ahead of him. Pitchers, of course, get on the team courtesy of the, the player and the coach's ballot. So I would buy him as being worthy. I would be shocked if he ends up there just because I don't know that he necessarily has the notoriety among his peers to necessarily make its way in. But I would absolutely buy him as being worthy of it. I, yeah, I, I'm selling obviously as an all-star just be in terms of the fact, I don't, I don't think he'll make it. I think, especially when we have a team like the Cubs, you know, who've been so bad when it's hard to get more than one all-star on <laughs> to a team, I think it's definitely going to be Wilson. Ian Happ has a shot. Um, but I, I, as you said, King and Thompson's not really well known and he's really kind of shoving more as a pitcher later. So I don't think he'll, will make the all-star game, but he's been pitching really well. And I think he's showing there is something there as him as a starter. Same with Justin Steele, as I mentioned. And I don't know, maybe it's because Auburn was playing so well the game I went to at the College World Series. So King Thompson got some war eagle on him, and he, he went back out there and pitched pretty well. But uh, I, I've, I've been impressed. And we, we talked about the fact that the Cubs, like they have like four starters on the IL. It's been crazy. And so it's nice to see these guys, young guys, getting a chance um, to pitch and to show what they can do. And hopefully we see more of that across the roster as the season wears on. Yeah, absolutely. And and we don't know for certain that Keegan Thompson is going to be a major league starter the rest of his career, but give him the rest of the year to see what's there. And then you figure he'll likely factor into the rotation or certainly be a key arm in the bullpen next year. Um, something maybe in his favor, there's always a ton of injuries and scratches with all-star rosters. So one or two more starts like he did the last two pushes that earned run average under three. It's possible, maybe not likely, but it's certainly possible. He's going to LA. And it's funny you mentioned that because as they have to pick all-star replacements, they have to pick the players who are kind of next in line in the balloting. Um, if a, a player is unable to play in the all-star game, they have to take the next guy behind him in the, in the voting. And I feel like that is a more plausible way of him getting into the all-star game is as an injury replacement where he automatically gets in. Cause he was maybe the number 12 vote getter and the number 11 guy got injured um, as far as the player and the coach battle. So I'd buy that as a lot more plausible than him actually making the roster uh, as the rosters are unveiled. Well, I got a question here. I have not voted for a major league all-star roster since I was about 13 or 14 years old. I didn't think you voted for pitchers. I thought you, you don't voted for, you don't players. vote for pitchers. The, the pitchers the are picked vote. by, yeah, the players. players yes. The players and the coaches are given their own internal balloting. And that is what picks, uh, as, as far as my understanding goes, that is what picks the positional reserves. And that is what picks all of the pitchers. And I think the all-star manager, um, may get a pick. I know he used to get more. And of course they ended that rule um, literally the year before Chicago Cubs world series winning manager, Joe Madden would have gotten to use it to put some of his guys on the roster. 
Um, but yes, the positional reserves as well as all the pitching staff is picked through internal balloting for the players or done by the players and by the coaches. Yeah, the the manager used to have a lot more uh, opportunity to provide picks, um, but now the players the players have voted for more uh, spots, so it really kind of leaves the manager. You know, maybe they get a couple picks in there, and then you have the fan vote for. Do they still do the final five fan vote? You know, they you know I'm not sure, I'm not sure if they do that final. I don't five I don't know if they anymore. do that anymore. More, I think just because rosters are so expanded now, but yeah. Uh, yeah so for the for pitchers, that used to just basically be you know the manager used to just pick the whole rotate or the whole staff, but now players balloting is taken into account. Yeah. Well, like I said, it mattered a whole lot more to me about 20 years ago or so. I used to love going to Wrigley field. You get the hanging chads, you know, filling out, trying to punch all those crappy late nineties, early two thousands Cubs. I was trying to get to all-star games. And I always thought, boy, if they made this thing digital, it'd be so much easier for me to do it. It's easier than ever to vote. And I couldn't care less. I assure you, Ronan, there are still plenty of chads hanging around Wrigley Field, if that's what you're missing. Oh, geez. Well, are you guys voters? Is this something that you do? I have not yet. I'm sure at some point I will put in a couple of cursory votes for the awful all-Cubs lineup. Um, Aside from Wilson, honestly, the rest of the roster is so bad, I don't know that I can bring myself (laughs) even to do that, even for as little as it matters anymore, even because Christopher Morell is not on that roster. Of course, he came up. Uh, in uh, May, and these rosters are submitted to the league um, during spring training as far as who the starters are. Um, yeah, so I don't know even in good conscience that I can do the all Cubs, uh, the all Cubs all star ballot. At uh, Cubs Twitter account might have to bribe me with a couple of signed baseballs or at least a chance to win a couple of those mm. before I do that. So I have not voted yet. I Jeremy, have not you're voted. a big voter. Yeah, where do you stand? I have not voted. Sorry. Um, but uh, Randall, no, Ian Happ is a credible candidate as well. To be he honest. is a credible candidate, but so I almost feel like there, there's other options out there. I almost feel like it would be uh, uh, like a wasted vote just because I don't think there's any way Happ gets voted in as a starter, even though and we will get into this later, even though I think he does have the statistical acumen to back it up. I have not voted. Um, I was like you, Ronan. I well, I, I always enjoyed going to the ballpark and punching out a ballot, you know, and uh, submitting it. And now that it's all paperless, I just, you know, it's not something I do anymore. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe being older as well, but I haven't voted, but I probably will at some point throw a couple votes in there. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. And like I said, it's been a long time since I've done it, but it was a big part of going to Wrigley field. And the other thing about the all-star voting, like I like the major league baseball all-star game. I think of all the pro sports in North America, it's certainly the best. It's the most that resembles a regular season baseball game, certainly better than like the pro bowl for God's sake or the NBA all-star game where it's 175 to 150. It's just kind of silly to me. Um, But I I, I don't know. Maybe it's just the fact that this team is so bad, but when you're 13 years old, it's a bigger deal to you to get Jose Macias or Mickey Morandini or somebody like that to the all-star game. than I think when you pivot into your thirties, and I, I, I will go on record as saying this numerous times over the next three weeks. We are not that far from the All-Star game. No. Less than three weeks from tonight, uh, it goes off. I love the MLB All-Star game. I love the home run derby. I am skeptical of just about everything MLB does in all facets. Um, I unabashedly love the home run derby. I love massive baseball players getting lob pitches lobbed to them and hitting them 500 feet while the entire stadium goes, damn, that ball went a long way. Yeah. I love the, I love the home run derby. I enjoy the all-star game. It's one of the few things about the baseball season that I unabashedly enjoy. 
I, I just to get on to what Randall's saying, I will say the change in the home run derby to go to a timed event has made the home run derby so much better and so much more enjoyable and so much more uh, of an entertainment factor. Uh, I said that was a great change. It was something that Major League Baseball did very well when it was just, you know, the amount of outs or whatever, and you're sitting there and they're just kind of taking a pitch and they're waiting for their pitch. Then it was kind of like tedious, as you said, and like boring and it was whatever. But the change to a timed event, which they've done for the last five, six, seven years, that has made the Home Run Derby a great event to watch. Yeah. It was fun last year here in Denver, in Los Angeles this summer. It'll be good eye candy a little bit later next month. Uh, The other thing about the All-Star Game that, and I'm not trying to poop on it necessarily, it's just obviously it celebrates great players from an era. Name recognition is a big part of it. But it also puts a lot of emphasis on the first half of the year and not the rest of the season. And that's a little bit arbitrary, right? We're baseball fans. We're big stats guys. It's like, boy, those April and May stats make you an all-star. But if you dominate in July and August, you might not be an all-star. That's a little weird. All-star Brian LaHare is a perfect example. (laughs) Exactly right. Exactly right. But that said, yeah, we're all excited about it. Uh, Jeremy, speaking of baseball events, you were at one of the great baseball events in North America, College World Series in Omaha. Uh, Definitely want to hear about your trip, what you liked, what you saw. But the thing that I wanted to start with is I have been to Omaha, not for the College World Series. I've been there other times in the year. Nice city, like a tier four American city. But something that I thought about walking around that ballpark is this must be very cool during the College World Series because the entire city for those two weeks is completely focused on college baseball. And you get similar vibes like when the Big Ten tournament is in Indianapolis versus Chicago. When it's in Indy, that's the event in Indy. Everybody's into it. When it's in Chicago, there's a million other things going on. Was that the vibe you got in Omaha that this was sort of ground zero in terms of what everybody was thinking about and talking about? It's definitely the vibe of, you know, of Omaha. And and not only that, it's like they also have run like um, – youth league tournaments that are national tournaments that are going on around the same time. So like in my hotel where I was staying, which was a couple blocks from the ballpark, there was a bunch of, you know, like 13 U youth baseball teams. And so that's also going on. So it was very baseball centric at that time period. And a lot of you you would see those kids, you know, when they're, they're downtime, they're like, Oh, we're going to try to get to a game and they'll be at a game or two or whatever. And, and they have the whole, they have a whole, you know, kind of fan fest set up around the ballpark, a lot of tents and vendors and baseball centric kind of vendors, you know, for gear and equipment, not to mention you get your odd t-shirts and whatever. So yeah, it's kind of a happening time. And when you're staying next to the ballpark, they have, you know, they have a bunch of bars around there too now. And so those things are loud and they'll, they'll be blasting noise uh, until, you know, if you're trying to go to bed at midnight or something, it's still kind of, you hear it. For me, it doesn't bother me at all, but uh, I can imagine others maybe don't want to stay that close to the ballpark, but it's a fun time. It's a fun atmosphere. And as I, as I said last week, any person who's a baseball fan, um, they should make an effort to go there at least once because it's a great, it's a great environment just to watch baseball. It looks like a lot of fun. It's definitely Jeremy, a lot of fun. What's the vibe like for people watching? Because I'm imagining you're getting a very disparate group of individuals from all different parts of the country, uh, all different fan bases. What's it just like as far as the people watching, the, the, the atmosphere that the people provide as they live and breathe and eat baseball out there in Omaha? It's a great vibe for people watching. Um, here's what I'm going to say, Randall. It, it makes me wish 
wish that Randall, you were more of a college athletics fan that you got really into college athletics. Cause I could see you being into the pageantry and the passion of these fans when the Absolutely. Arkansas, when the whole stadium is full of Arkansas fans and they're doing their hog calls and they're going woo pig suey multiple times after every run, they scored 17 runs that day. You know, I could just see Randall out there getting really into it. And, and, you know, you, you this tournament, was gonna, it's going to have six out of the eight teams are going to be in the SEC in three years because you're including Texas and Oklahoma. Um, so it's a lot of Southern uh, atmosphere. So you have, you, have, you have Stanford coming in, and it was just like – and Notre Dame were the other two teams. And Stanford was just – when they played Arkansas, there was like no Stanford fans. The whole tournament was all of Arkansas. But Ole Miss and all, played Auburn, that was a huge game. Texas, you know, played Notre Dame. I got to say – the Notre Dame fans, you know, there are probably a lot of them are Cubs fans here. And I saw a lot of Cubs gear out there, but the Notre Dame's around fans around me were not, they were kind of possibly the douchiest fans. I saw. Oh, well, it's a shocker. But, well, what it's only their third time being so? at all. Well, to be fair, to be fair, it was, it was mostly like a lot. They were kind of, I don't know if they were college age kids mostly, but it, I just felt very performative for a lot of the Notre Dame fans. Like they were trying to show like, how into it they were. I don't know. It just was like, everything was like, yeah, we scored. Like, it was like these people had never been to a baseball game before. And yeah. they were just like, a lot, of, a lot of hand holding needed kindergarten exactly. crowd, but they were just yeah. like acting. So it was crazy. I mean, they beat Texas and, you know, I expected Texas to whoop them. So you got to, you know, you have pride in your school. And when you beat a yeah. school like Texas in the cultural series, you're going to have pride. So, but it just felt like performative. You know, I, I've always felt that the uh, dumbest people in the room tend to be the loudest. Randall, you probably agree that way when I'm texting you all middle of the night. But I think it's particularly true at baseball games. Like the people that are shouting out ridiculous things or overreacting to giving up a run early in the ball game, those are people that don't watch a lot of baseball. And it irritates me, especially like Cubs playoff games, if I'm around people that clearly haven't been watching all year, they don't really know baseball, and everything's the end of the world. It's like, chill chill out. Like we've been through this before. That's the vibe I'm getting from some of these Irish fans. Yeah. That's, that's, it's like when it's, you know, like the first inning and you score a run and like, you're obviously you're going to go nuts, you know, you hit a home run or whatever, but like when you're like talking shit to all the Texas fans around you after the one out in the first inning, you know, it's one, nothing. It's like, all right, calm down, dude. It's pump the brakes. <laughs> it pumped the brakes. It's a lot, I'm like, you could be excited, but don't like the next thing, you know, it just felt like it was like performative. It was like acting, but like, you know, it, it was a lot. It's just fun because you see all the different schools and you get all the different vibes from all the different schools. Like last year, Mississippi state, they won the national championship. They were crazy. The hell state fans, you know, it's not, and I imagine the Texas fans, Texas been there 38 times for the college world series. Yeah. Wow. There's only been 72, I believe. So 38 out of 72, those are people that have been there before. So they know how to act. So they're not really Texas fans. Aren't really the craziest. Well, as you guys know, I'm a big tailgate guy. It's a big part of who I am. I love tailgating. I don't mess around with tailgating. I'm very prepared. Concerts, baseball games, football games. I like to tailgate. To your point, Jeremy, those SEC fans, they know how to tailgate. They do it right. They know how to party. It's something I've got tremendous respect for for that fan base. Go to any of those SEC football games, baseball games. Those fans know how to have a good time. And I've been at some shows at Red Rocks. I remember a show last year. It was a band that has a big Southern following. They had TV screens in the tailgate with the college football game on in high definition streaming in the back of their trucks. And I go, these people know how to have a good time. So I would imagine it'd be a lot of fun to be around them. It is. It's a lot of fun. When you, I, like I said, this year it was 
heavily dominated by Southern schools more so than previous years. Cause usually you get, you know, you even like Stanford is you, you get a lot of West coast schools too. Like, you know, UCLA, Arizona, USC or whatever, but this year was just heavily dominated by like deep South schools. And they were, they were a lot of rivalries too. Cause you, you had Ole Miss played Auburn the game. I went to, you have Arkansas in there. You have Texas A&M, Texas, Oklahoma were all there. So these are all schools that all pretty much know each other. They play each other all the yeah. time. So it wasn't like, schools you're seeing oftentimes you're seeing schools that you never really play so it was it was it was pretty intense at times you know Peyton Manning yeah. was up there and uh uh for one of the games and then his nephew he was at the Texas Notre Dame game and his nephew committed to Texas today and I was like huh maybe there was something there and then they showed him during the old Miss game on the board and they put up the Eli's little brother so all mm. the old Miss fans had a pretty good pretty good <laughs> one with that as Eli going to old Miss all, I will say the best was the in-game host, and I hate in-game hosts. Yeah. He interviewed Lane Kiffin. And Lane Kiffin, you know, obviously being, you know, Lane Kiffin. And he asked him, he goes, oh, were these the four teams you expected from the SEC to make the College World Series? And Lane Kiffin's immediate reaction is like, I don't know. This is my first time ever being here. I don't really follow college baseball. But sure, oh, these are four good super, teams. Super, super <laughs> useful. What what type of questions? I'm like, why are these asking Lane Kiffin that? He's not he doesn't he's not following the season. Yeah, yeah. I I I could do without all of them at every park in the history of sporting events forever. Get rid of the in-game host person. Uh, thank God the Cubs haven't gotten to that point yet. Although, give it another decade, and maybe it will become in a Wrigley Field. Jeremy, one of the interesting storylines of the College World Series this year is COVID-related. The extra year, the disrupted baseball season meant that you had some older college baseball players and something that I thought was kind of neat. You had some college players that were born in like 2003, and then you had some guys that were born in like 1997 playing in this. That's a wild age gap, and that's something that is unique to this time here because COVID disrupted the year two years ago. Yeah, it's unique to college sports in this period is you're getting a lot of guys that have stayed in school an extra year. And one part of that is the fact that the Major League Baseball draft in 2020 was only five rounds. So not a lot of guys weren't drafted, you know, and so it's come back to school, see what happens. So you're getting a lot of a lot of older players and and they were a factor in the uh, for these teams because you have a lot of older guys playing. Um, unfortunately we didn't get the situation we got last year, which is North Carolina state last year, like half their team tested positive, like an hour before the game. And they weren't even sure whether they were going to play. And next thing, you know, you know, they're playing with like nine players and like three freshman pitchers are playing in the field. And it was just a whole, and then they had a forfeited game with their chance to make it to the championship. It was just a mess. And so luckily none of those issues this year with COVID, but it's crazy how much it has affected the college, all of college sports, really, where you're seeing a lot of fifth, sixth year guys. There are guys that are like fourth year, like sophomores, you know, fifth year sophomores, Wild. which is like crazy. But as you said, yeah, the biggest gap, I think, in the college World series this year was six years, I think 1997 to 2003, which if you really think about it, that's a 25 year old playing like, a, like an yeah. 18 year old. That's crazy. Wild. But Jeremy, of course, you can't go to a, a sporting event, I was about to say professional sporting event, but that's not accurate. You can't go to a major sporting event, of course, without uh, enjoying yourself some food and drink. Oh boy. At the ballpark there, is there any food that stands out to you? Do you have a favorite food there? Is there a, a specialty at the ballpark? What's the menu like overall? And what's the Jeremy Spector menu like when you go to the College World Series? Well, I, I went to, um, I went to, I, I, I ate there, during the day 
Um, I got a, a pork sandwich on one day and a pull of sausage the next day. Um, <laughs> Rosenblatt's when you are at the old ballpark, Rosenblatt, which is in Southern Omaha, it, there used to be an ice cream stand that was like, right, I can't remember the name off the top of my head. It was right there. Cause it was like in the neighborhood and that ice cream stand was, was always super cool to go to, even though as not a person who's a big fan of ice cream, it was just like kind of a neighborhood thing. There'd be huge lines. Um, but so, you know, when you're in Omaha, you kind of got to eat kind of steaks or whatever. Yeah. So, uh, in the past, I've gone to Garotts, which is, you know, Warren Buffett's kind of hometown kind of place to go to get a steak. Of course, it's it's kind of touristy kind of thing, but there's some places, you know, to go. Uh, a couple of pubs that are real nice that I go get, you know, get some meat because you got a lot of cattle out there. That's the place to get it. And so that's always, you know, cattle and corn. So uh, that's that's kind of what I eat around Omaha. Did you give Pete the bird? Did I give Pete the bird? Oh, Pete Ricketts. Pete Ricketts. I did not. I did not give <laughs> Pete the bird. I did think about it because this year, this is the first year it's been called Charles Schwab Field, and it used to be TD Ameritrade Field. And of course, that goes back to the uh, basically the Ricketts family selling TD Ameritrade to um, to uh, Charles Schwab, and you know, getting stock, getting getting bought out. So now it's Charles Schwab Field, and it just kind of reminds me of all the money the Ricketts family has made doing that. So, but I did not give Pete the bird. Uh, I did not see any members of the Ricketts family, no. fortunately or unfortunately, however you want yeah. to present that. I got one more question for you. Baseball focused here. One or two names. Did you see a guy and you're like, damn, wouldn't mind that guy being in the Cubs system in the next year? Well, I do want to give props to uh, uh, a few names. Uh, I don't know about necessarily about being in the Cubs system, although I would take him. Uh, Jack Brannigan on Notre Dame. That kid made two incredible plays he's third baseman also a pitcher that and he's this he'll be draft eligible this year two incredible back-to-back plays on just hot shots right down the line that he caught like 105 miles an hour just back-to-back against texas and i was like that that's a kid that that would be a fun kid to have and uh old miss has a shortstop by the name of jacob gonzalez not luis gonzalez's son jacob gonzalez mm. who's a top prospect in major league baseball but a shortstop who's a sophomore and he will probably be in the running for a top five-ish pick next year. And looking at this Cubs team, this Cubs team's probably going to have a top five-ish pick in 2023. So possibly number one. So this is a kid who could also possibly go one, one. So that's a name I would put out there. Jacob Gonzalez. He's a very good hitter. And, uh, and I mentioned last week, Ivan Melendez at Texas. He, he hit into a lot of outs when at the game I went to against their name, but he hit the ball hard every single time, just crushing it. And he's an older kid because of, covid he's a fourth he's in his fourth year he's only a junior technically but it's his fourth year in school that would be a guy you know you could take if he's around the second third round i i, I would be interested in drafting him it should be noted ivan melendez who jeremy mentioned just now comes with a fantastic nickname they call him the hispanic titanic yep <laughs> he's also the college baseball player of the year so yeah really good stuff there uh, anything else of note from omaha pete stakes well, I, I want to give a little bit of no. First of all, like I said, I, I, I would have liked to have seen Randall out there doing the yes. pig suey. But, uh, I, you know, my family being from Omaha, we have some farmland or Council Plus tech. Well, Omaha and Council Plus. We have some farmland in Iowa. And so I got to go out and visit some of the farms and have a fun time. And I would have liked to take taken you guys there, see how you guys would yeah. have done out amongst the people of the land, the farmers, and hanging out there, you know, maybe planting some crops, watering some seeds. Uh, you know, getting all that. I just would have liked, oh, I actually do have one quick story I would like to tell. So this is kind of funny. I, I was with my dad and my dad's from the Quad Cities. 
So he, there's a golf event out there with the home of John Deere tractor. There's a golf event out there, the John Deere classic. So my dad goes to that sometimes he has a polo that says John Deere classic on it. It's got a little John Deere logo. So we were out at the Cornstalk Cafe, which is next to a gas <laughs> station, uh, just in Missouri Valley, Iowa, pretty much. And across the street from there is a John Deere tractor dealership. So we're just, you know, my dad was going to go to the bathroom in there as we're about to leave. Some guy walks up to my dad and goes, ah, you work at the dealership across the street. It was interesting in purchasing a tractor. My dad could have had a sale right there. He could have yeah, sold that guy sure. a tractor with his John Deere classic shirt. But uh, Would he have alas, gotten commission on that sale? I know. Alas, my dad had to inform him that, no, I don't work across the street at the John Deere dealership. He looks like a businessman, you know, giving yeah. that vibe. He was out. wearing the John Deere polo. He had, he had the little <laughs> logo from the John Deere Classic in Silvis, Illinois. That's great. That's really good. You know, Randall's been known to uh, work a hoe. We've heard that in the past. You know, he's been a, a man of the land. And I would love to see Randall in overalls planting some crops, yeah. pulling up some weeds, working on the riparians. Getting on those giant oh, combines, stuff. those giant yeah. green tractors or whatever. He'd paint it blue. Exactly. You know, yes. I'd love I'd love to see you among the braying donkeys on the farm <laughs> so that I could say which one is Ronan, like where, you know, where to go blends in. Randall, I've got a favorite farm animal. OK, I actually I like cows a lot. I think cows are really fascinating and cool creatures, uh, but I like alpaca. I got some alpaca apparel. I've got a, a scarf that's alpaca fur. If I had a farm and land, I'd have some alpaca. All right. You'd be an alpaca farmer. You'd make yourself some wool. Sell some sweaters, some hats, some yeah. scarves. I could see you with a little roadside stand by your farm, uh, for, you know, fresh alpaca wool clothing. Make yourself a nice little bit of money on the side. You know, I will say that growing up in Chicago and then when we moved up to Glenview, I kind of resented farmland. I thought it was boring. I thought it was flat. And I've traveled across the country. I've been all over the United States. I've seen some really bad parts of the country, seen some very cool parts of the country. I think grad school for me, which was in normal Illinois, surrounded by cornfields, really changed my perception. I like them now. I think they're beautiful. I obviously appreciate the food that gets grown on it or the crops or the animals. I love eating delicious food that gets grown or raised on these uh, farms. But I definitely, my perception of that has changed completely and I take it to living a couple of years in central Illinois. I think that turned the tide for me. And it's something that I see the beauty in it a lot more now than I saw when I was 15 or 16 years old. You lived among the corn. The corn accepted you. You became ingratiated into the corn society. You were like the Jane Goodall of the corn. You went down there to study the corn and you ended up being accepted by the corn. America needs farmers. That's what Hayden Fry put on the University of Iowa helmets, uh, ANF, that are still there. So America needs farmers. That, that beautiful Iowa corn, we love it. That's why the Cubs and the Reds are going to play out there this year in August. <laughs> right. And so we'll see all that great, beautiful Iowa corn. So I, I support yeah. you supporting great corn. Well, I'm glad you had that trip. It's cool. And Jeremy, I am going to take you up one of these years. It's on my bucket list. I want to go to Omaha for that. Uh, every other time I'm there, it's nothing going on in town. I'm just going to passing through driving home. But uh, it looks like a great event. I've walked around the ballpark. It's a beautiful new facility. To your point earlier, it's surrounded by bars, hotels, restaurants. I just would imagine game day there, it's a party. And I like a party. Uh, the only real complaint I have is that you were in bed at midnight. If you're here in the party and you're laying in bed, you need to get out of bed and go back to the party because it's too early to lay down. And that's one thing I would change about your trip. And the when one, I'm there, we're going out. Okay. The one thing I will say about Omaha, you have to make, and you, you know this about being in Denver, 
you have to make sure because you talk about it at the ballpark. You have to make sure you're in the right spot in the ballpark because you want that shade, especially during yes. the day. Because there's one thing about Omaha, Nebraska, and uh, the the farmer at the farm he told me that 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 hot and humidity it's great for the crops at night to grow, but it's not really good for me personally when I'm sitting there at the ballpark no. watching it. So it's very hot at 90 some odd degrees while you're on heat index that so uh it tires you out when you're there for you know two games a day that does tire you out no doubt it's sun is no joke and i saw a kid actually leaving coors field the other day i was pissed off at the kid's parent the kid was like eight and he was severely sunburned it was a day game it was one of those sunday afternoons i mean that kid was going to be feeling that for multiple days and it bothers me because as a parent, you know, it's your responsibility to bring sunscreen, to bring, to just be thinking about those things for your kid. And I saw that kid leaving the game and I'm like, oh, he's in for a rough couple of days. So uh, I hear what you're saying, Jeremy, totally. I talk about it all the time too. Uh, here's a city that's hot and sunny, Los Angeles. It's where the All-Star game is going to be this year. Dodger Stadium, Chavez Ravine. We all love this. Wilson Contreras, the Cubs catcher, the leading vote getter at National League catcher. No surprise. I think the only question with Contreras, is he going to be a Cub by the time they get to the All-Star break or is the inevitable trade coming after the All-Star break? So that's one thing we got to think about. But another Cub who may be in the mix for this is Ian Happ. Randall, Ian Happ, All-Star, yes or no? Absolutely, he should be. Just going among NL outfielders, the NL outfield field is not particularly strong right now. Ian Happ is second among National League outfielders in OPS, He is third in slugging. He is first in on-base percentage at 387. And he is uh, tied for third in hits uh, with Mookie Betts at 67 hits. It just seems to me that among National League outfielders, again, is not a particularly strong crop, I admit. It seems to me by whatever metric you want to try and evaluate, Ian Happ is a National League all-star outfielder. And I think we're going to run into the same thing we did with Keegan Thompson, wherein he's definitely not going to be a starter. Not that Keegan Thompson could be voted in as a starter, but Ian Happ is definitely not going to make it into that lineup uh, from the fan voting. And so for him to be recognized would have to be uh, an act of recognition by his peers and coaches. And I like to think that they're going to look at him or look at the guy and say, hey, he's hitting pretty well this year. He should probably be an all-star. I worry it's not going to happen. I don't think guys on other teams are necessarily – doing what I'm doing, which is looking at the National League um, outfielder offensive numbers. I think they're probably going by who they feel like is having a great year. So I think we're going to run into the same thing we did with Keegan Thompson, where he deserves to be an all-star, but he's probably not going to get in by his one avenue. But I would love to be wrong. I think he deserves to be. I think Ian Happ is definitely deserving of being an all-star. It's been remarkable what he's done from the right side of the plate this year. And while yeah. some of that is just, you know, small sample size, he has seemed like a better approach and a better uh, feel for hitting from that side. Um, so it's nice to see him really kind of coming through. And he's been a very good hitter from both sides of this plate this year and more so from the right side. Uh, I just, I just kind of like Randall said, I'm skeptical that, people are going to want to reward the Cubs with multiple all-stars. When you see this team, you see their record, you see how they've played and, and getting, you know, uh, Wilson's going to be an all-star. We all know that. Are the, are the Cubs, this, should this Cubs team have two, three all-stars? I, I don't know. I mean, they have deserving players, but are people going to look at that and think that? And so while I think Ian Happ is deserving of being an all-star, I'm skeptical of, of him actually getting into the game, unless it's as an injury replacement. 
And you could make the argument, maybe not the, the best reasoned argument, but on the surface, you could make the argument that the Cubs have four all-star worthy players in Contreras, Hap, Keegan Thompson, and probably David Robertson. You could make that argument that this Cubs team, as bad as it is, has four players who are at least worthy of all-star representation. Again, we've said multiple times now, we're skeptical that they're going to get more than the one. And Jeremy makes an excellent point, not just about name recognition among his peers, but about maybe not wanting to reward one of the worst teams in the major leagues with multiple all-stars, but you have four guys who on the virtue of their statistics, at least deserve consideration. And that's atypical for a team as bad as the Cubs are. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of um, like the 1960s kind of Cubs where uh, when you're talking about hall of famers, there are people out there that, and I don't say this is a good argument. I'm just saying that this was an argument that was made. It's like, well, if all these guys were Hall of Famers, why wasn't that team good? You know, like how could this team with four Hall of Famers, Ernie Banks, Ron Santo, Frankie Jenkins, and Billy Williams, like why would that team for the most part not good? And so I just feel like there's kind of be a, a kind of a skepticism from people that are maybe not they're not paying attention or other players that, you know, they're not. They're only kind of just, as Randall said, they're just seeing like what they see. They see, OK, this guy's kind of been good against us or we've heard things they're not pouring through the data for the most part i don't know no, maybe mike no. Tr- maybe mike trout's fantasy league is but i don't know if the rest <laughs> of the players are um just don't try and stash anyone on the il right so uh, i don't know if the i mean that was football but i don't know if the rest of the if they might be going through it but uh so i just you know you you start voting for guys and it's like well this team's terrible should they have yeah. four all-stars like i could see that being a thought process well all-Star Game is one thing, and we all want Ian Happ to be an All-Star this year. I want to see as many Cubs as possible in Los Angeles at the All-Star Game here in a couple of weeks. But there's a bigger question with Ian Happ, and that's what do you do with him big picture with regards to the Cubs? They've got control of him this year. They've got control of him next year. He becomes a free agent then for the 2024 season. It's going to be his age 29 season. So what do you do with Ian Happ here? On one hand, Statistically, he's having the best year of his career. Power is a little bit down. The slugging is a little bit down from years in the past. But the average, the on-base percentage, Jeremy, the ability to hit from the right side, which was a glaring weakness in his game, now a strength. And he's performing at a high level. Is this a guy you trade? Is this a guy that you go, hey, let's extend him before he becomes a free agent. Let's lock him in for the next six years or so. Jeremy, here we are, late June. What are you thinking the Cubs do with Ian Happ? I've thought about this, and unfortunately, I think that um, I, I think that he's the guy. I think you have to move him. I do. I, I, I honestly do. I think that I don't know if you 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 tried to like push him out or in a way or shop him very hardly, very hard, excuse me. But I think you explore those trades. I think you see what teams are willing to give up. I mean, he's at probably his highest point in terms of trade value. I, he probably is, and I think. I'm not seeing where this team is going to compete in the near future. And so right now, I think the thing to do is to kind of build up as much as you can in prospect depth and maybe getting some players, you know, maybe kind of a Nick magical S player, not Nick magical per se, but guys who are kind of ready, Caleb Killian kind of ready sooner. But I think you do explore moving him. I think, I think if you get a good deal, you should move him. That's my opinion. I, I agree to it. I agree to a degree. I'm not in favor of moving him. I'm also not in favor of moving Contreras, as you know we, we say every week. Uh, uh, if you want to shop him around and see if some team is really able or willing to give you uh, a really good prospect or a really good prospect haul for Ian Hat, maybe consider it. Don't move him just to move him. You, you, I hate saying this 
because it didn't have to be this way. But once you committed to breaking down last team's year, last year's team, you kind of had to move your big three. Not that you had to go that route eventually, but once you committed to it, that's kind of what had to happen. You couldn't keep those three throughout the entire season. You don't have to move Ian Happ. You don't have to. If you get an offer that overwhelms you and you say that would that's going to you know make our farm system markedly better, then think about it. Don't move him just to move him. Is is my take? Don't don't get rid of him just to say we we made a move, we got a prospect back for him. If you're overwhelmed by the hall, then absolutely pull the trigger, but don't move him just to move him. I think something that I'm worried about with Ian Happ, even with his resurgence this year, is where does he fit into the Cubs even the next two, three, four, or five years? And what I'm thinking is that they need a masher in left field. Say is going to be a good major league player, I think, in right field. I do not think he's ever going to be a 30 home run player at the major leagues. Hope I'm wrong, but maybe. If you're not getting 30 home run power out of right field, you got to get it out of left field, right? I mean, you, you got to have power in this lineup. I don't know that Ian Happ is ever going to be a 30 home run guy. He's kind of come close twice in his career. He's got a 25 home run season and a 24 home run season. But I think the Cubs need a big time bat in left field if Say is going to be the guy in right. So if that's the case, Aaron Happ's not a center fielder. I don't think he hits well enough to be a full-time DH. You got to do better in left, I think, than Ian Happ. Yeah, so for me, I think that I'm in favor of trading him. I think it's the right move to make. I, I, I But for me, I'm not like – I don't I, – I try not to – for me personally, I try not to get caught up in, in like whether or not he – you know, I just think – if you have a good baseball player, he's a good baseball player no matter. Yes, power is very valuable. I agree with that. And so if you can find power, you should find it. But to me, Ian Happ's a good ball player. I, I I don't – right now he should be an all-star. And I think if you provide like a good ball player, you're a valuable piece, uh, no matter how you provide it, whether or not through a base percentage, great defense. Uh, I think it's power lets you get away with a lot of other flaws, as we see with like Patrick Wisdom. He has a lot of flaws, but he hits tons of homers. So it lets you get – probably lets you get away with more than you would as – normal player so but i i agree with you in terms of i think i think it's in the cubs best interest to move him i i do yeah uh that uh, that's not necessarily the reasoning for me but i just think that the position we are in in this rebuild as i'm going to call it a rebuild unlike jed and the rest of the cubs organization i just don't see where ian happ this is like the highest point this is his highest trade value you're going to get your most back and are the cubs in a spot right now where you're saying we're going to compete in 2023 we're going to compete I don't know, maybe in 2024. I, I don't see that. So I don't know. So I feel like Ian Happ, let's re, let's start it over. Let's If we're going down this road, let's do it. Let's not try to half-ass it. Yeah. I think, yeah, there's some truth in there, Jeremy, for sure. Cubs outfield depth in the minor league, it's one of the strengths that they have in their system. There are guys in outfield positions, but I'm with you. I just don't think 27, he's currently 27. So if the Cubs aren't good until he's 29 or 30, I don't see how Ian Happ fits into this. And I do think the power thing is a concern. You got to have power in the outfield. And I don't know, say is going to be a huge power guy in right. Then what do you really think you're going to have a slugger in center? Maybe, but maybe not, probably not left field. Then you got to get maybe 40 home runs out of that position. I also think catcher offensively is going to take a step back naturally in the next couple of years they're going to be a worse team offensively behind the plate once Wilson goes so you need a little more production I say all that though going it sucks I love Ian Happ he's been one of my favorite players in Major League Baseball since he came up I think it extra sucks that he made his debut in 2017 he didn't get the World Series ring he didn't get to be a part of that he comes up just after it 
He's a key part of multiple Cubs playoff teams. They've gotten progressively worse, though. And now he's finally sort of putting it together when the team's completely falling apart. So it just kind of stinks. And Ian Happ, I think, is a good candidate. Go somewhere else, maybe win a ring, and let's have the Cubs be pretty competitive in the next couple of years. Ronan, you mentioned that he comes up right after the World Series. The very funny Ian Happ story. I was fortunate enough to meet Ian Happ and Kyle Schwarber at a public appearance in the summer of 2017. And uh, Kyle Schwarber, of course, has his massive World Series ring on his hand. And uh, somebody in the crowd asks Ian Happ, hey, where's your World Series ring? And he looks around kind of sheepishly. Uh, I don't know if the person knew that Ian Happ does not have a World Series ring. No. But uh, yeah, it was very funny at the time. Yeah, totally. It is. And and just it's just for me, it's is Ian Happ like, is he going to be a main part of the next good Cubs team? I don't probably I don't probably not. I mean, he's going to like if you're going to sign him to an extension one, he's he's going to probably be older when the Cubs are good. Like that's part of my reasoning with Wilson Contreras is Wilson's going to be 31 next year. So like what were we talking about, like 33 year old Wilson Contreras as a catcher behind the plate? I don't know. So with Ian Happ, he's going to be older in the future. And while he's having a great season right now, is this something we think is as sustainable? I hope it is. It looks kind of sustainable, but Ian Happ struggled a lot in the past. He's had to go down to the minors uh, before when he's been in the majors. So, like, I just feel like it's your highest possible value right now in moving Ian Happ. Like, you're never going to get back more than you will. He's got one and a half years left on uh, under control. He's playing the best he's probably played in the majors. I just think now's the time to make it. If you're going to make a deal, I feel like this is a very good time to make a deal. I'm with you there. And it sucks. It burns. We hate to say goodbye to fan favorites and guys that we like, but these are the tough decisions Jed and the team needs to make. And I'm with you, Jeremy. Uh, yes or no question. Not what do you think in terms of should they Randall, yes or no, the Cubs trade Ian Happ before August 1st. No. I'm, I'm tough on it. I, I don't know. I think they will. I think they will definitely explore it. It comes down to whether or not they feel like they get the value for it. And I'm going to say, I'm going to say 60% yes, 40% oh, no. Awful. It's a yes or no question. And I know. Then yes, I go more. It. So yes, 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 yes. yes I, I think Ian Happ will be traded before August 1st. And imagine what that Cubs lineup is going to look like. We thought it was bad last year. After all those trade-offs, Jeremy, you're at Coors Field last year. Big Frank Schwindel in the lineup. We're like, what is going on here? It could be rough folks come august 1st yeah, this year say it better get healthy yeah absolutely eager to get him back uh, one other player an outfielder i want to talk about really quickly and i've got to be mindful he changed his name in the last couple of days he's not clint frazier anymore he is jackson frazier is what he's going by now cubs dfam jeremy and i i wish you folks could have seen the back and forth that jeremy and i had in the chat Randall was ready to chuck his phone into the Chicago River. He was so frustrated watching Jeremy and I fight about Jackson Frazier. But he's back in the Cubs system. He's in Des Moines where the city is buzzing and the S's are silent. <laughs> Randall, will the name change get a quality player here out of Jackson Frazier? I mean, the name change won't. But if you're going to make your way back to MLB, hitting at AAA is a good place to start. You know, I think I was actually thinking about this. I was in the car quite a bit this week and I was thinking about this as my mind does tend to wander uh, as long as I do keep my eyes on the road is a uh, guy playing at AAA is a lot like a spring training game. It doesn't especially matter in the grand scheme of things, but you rather he do better as opposed to do worse. Just like in the spring, you'd rather the team win than lose, even though it does not especially matter. Uh, getting back to the major leagues is about making adjustments. And, you know, even though AAA, it's not the 
it's not the high prospect league it used to be. There's a lot of journeymen. There's a lot of veterans at AAA, guys just trying to get back to the major leagues like Clint Frazier is now. So yeah. it's not really a high prospect league. You're not necessarily facing the best the minor leagues have to offer. But as long as you're down there, it's better to perform than not perform because whatever chance you have of making those adjustments and getting back to MLB, they are going to come about from you showing that you've made those adjustments and you've improved your game at the AAA level. So to whatever extent it matters, good for him for going down there and producing. He's had a great week since accepting the assignment and heading down there. He got there as soon as he could so he can start getting to work. Uh, so good for him for not, you know, moping and, um, you know, moping around because he got demoted to AAA. So I don't know that he is going to be a, a big part of this team. I don't know that he is going to, um, you know, bet on himself and maybe get another major league deal next year. But if, if any of that is going to happen, it's going to start because he made the adjustments and he produced at Iowa. Well, I, I, I'm going to, to me, I, I think Randall, uh, AAA is a little, it's a little more than a spring training games. I mean, these are real competitive baseball games with people trying, you know, to, to spring training. A lot of times you just getting guys working out on, on things, prepare, preparing for the season. These are all people trying to either make it to the major leagues or make it back to the major leagues and playing real competitive games. So I, 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 I want to kind of put that comparison in and I, I don't know. I, I think for me, uh, whether or not ja uh, Jackson Frazier ever makes it back to the majors <laughs> or doesn't uh, I've always thought he's had a chance. He has real quick hands, uh, quick swing. I, I, I think, it, you know, I don't think he's ever going to be a great hitter or anything. I just thought he was a decent guy to take a chance on, give a few at bats. To me, it's disappointing. They didn't give him the chance when we're seeing the team that's being put out there now. And I think we're seeing kind of the same thing with Nelson Velasquez. It's like you, if you have these guys on your roster, give them the chance. I don't need to see Jason Hayward playing every day. I don't need to see Jonathan VR making all these errors all the time. Like I want to <laughs> see some young guys getting a chance, you know, maybe they are kind of just give some guys a chance. That's all I want to see. I talked about last week, the sausage making, like that's part of the sausage making process. You give guys chances. Some of them are going to stick. Some of them are going to suck and never play back. So that's my disappointment in the situation. I'm glad he stuck around and I'm glad he's trying to make an effort of it in AAA. Sure. To be, and to be clear, I'm speaking in the very narrow focus of, does it matter to the regular season major league team and triple a games do not in that regard. No. I'm, I'm not saying that triple a games do not matter. I'm not saying they're not competitive. I'm not saying that the players in them don't matter. I'm just talking in the very narrow focus of the major league regular season games and to the major league Cubs, the, the results of the triple a games do not necessarily matter to, to the, to the extent that anything matters to the major league Cubs right now. Well, I mean, I agree with you. They obviously they don't matter to the major league Cubs, but performances in them matter in, in the essence of like they're going to be calling guys up from there and they're going to be looking for the players to sue. So, so you, as you said, you want to perform down there. And, and, and as I said, all these guys are either looking to make the majors or are on their way try or make it back to the majors. So those are real competitive games with a lot of major league baseball players that have played in the majors in them. Jeremy, I agree with your point about the frustration looking at this team. I mean, I, Jonathan VR, we, we were sort of like, oh, this could be interesting when they signed him, right? It, it, it's like he's aging in front of our eyes and just deteriorating as a ball player, you know? And it's been tough to watch that. We've talked extensively about Jason Hayward. It's time. It's more than time. I think when uh, Suzuki comes back, that's the end of the line for Hayward. Let's hope it's the end of the line and they can just go their separate ways and we can move on from that. I just felt, with regards to Frazier, the Cubs fandom, and this is my fault for being online and looking at things like Twitter, a little well, bit of an overreaction to a guy of, this, of his caliber. 
He's not a particularly good player. He's an awful defender. There's no position for him to play. He's never been very good at any point in his career. It's like, I just think everybody's, I think what it was is everybody's pissed off that Hayward is still on the team. And that's really the angst that was coming out more so than, oh, Jackson Frazier is a big part of the Cubs' future because he's not. And we'll book it. August 1st, 2023, he's playing in Japan. (laughs) Well, that might be true. I don't know. All right. But I agree with you. Yes, that is the point. It's it's not necessarily that Jackson Frazier is going to be like a huge part of the process of the next team. It's, but we the point was we don't know what this guy is. Maybe he's good. Probably not. He's probably not good. He's probably he's not, not good. good. <laughs> well, no. he's probably not. I agree with you. But you never know. Maybe as I said, nobody thought Chris Coglin would be a 2016 Cubs World Champion. So you give a guy a chance. We don't need to see Jason Hayward every single day. And that's the frustration. It's don't yeah. remember they activated Jonathan VR off of the the il at the same time they df that was the move dfa uh clint frazier so it's like you have hayward on there you're activating vr who i it's incredible how terrible he's been and and then you're getting rid of frazier who who knows you gave him like 45 plate appearances 45 and it's like you can't find room to give this guy more to give him a chance and so that was kind of the the idea the frustration it's more about the fact like they called up nelson velasquez and david ross says we're going to give him you know put him in the same role as jackson frazier why 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 can't nelson velasquez get some play why can't he play why does jason hayward have to play every single day he's getting paid what okay keep him put him on the bench he's getting his money i don't hate jason hayward i i never over the top hated him but like everybody knows it jason knows it he knows he's struggled he probably didn't earn that contract you know, it's tough, yeah, to bench a guy, but why can't Nelson Velasquez get more plate appearances? That's the point. That's the frustration. Yeah, and uh, it's something that we hope gets better here shortly. There's trades coming. There's there's probably three, maybe four guys on this roster right now that have no business being on a major league roster. They should be DFA'd today, and that's the makeup of the Chicago Cubs right now, and it's a big reason why, after a nice weekend against Atlanta, they turn around and drop three or four against the awful Pittsburgh Pirates team. Um Speaking of awful, Cubs are going to St. Louis, Randall, this weekend. Your favorite city in the entire world, St. Louis. What do we think weather-wise? When, when I think about this time of the year, humid, hot, maybe rainy, I didn't see the forecast. What are we expecting this weekend? Well, it's time for everyone's favorite part of the podcast, and that, of course, is the weather provided by Alexander Hall of Cubs Weather. Find him on Twitter, as always, at Alexander Hall. Find the Cubs Weather Twitter account on Twitter, at Cubs Weather. As the Cubs head to St. Louis for this weekend, the series vibe as the Cubs head to the devil's anus, that is my emphasis, not Alex's. <laughs> Alex is a consummate professional. I am not. The series vibe is locked in on summer. Friday night, a 7.15 local time start, 86 degrees, not insanely humid, partly cloudy with the winds light and not a factor. Saturday is a 1.15 start. And when I think of heaven, I think, of course, a midday day game in the devil's armpit. Uh, a 115 start on Saturday, 95 degrees, a heat index of around 100. It'll be humid, partly cloudy, and light winds. No thank you. And then the same time, same place, Sunday, 115, uh, temperature around 87 degrees, partly cloudy, decreasing humidity, but not quite comfy, largely because nobody in St. Louis is comfy. Again, my words, not Alex's. Wind to the right side at 10 to 20 miles per hour. And the, then the Cubs get to depart the anal, the devils, whatever other body part you want to use. They come back to Wrigley Field to play the Cincinnati Reds. 
the series vibe, perfect evenings. And I'm quoting here to throw Pat on the radio and steaks on the grill, especially mm. Tuesday and Wednesday, increasing humidity and a shot at rain by Thursday. So all three games in the series are 705 starts at beautiful and historic Wrigley Field in the central time zone. Tuesday night, 80 degrees, comfortable humidity, few clouds, wind out to left field at 5 to 15 miles per hour. Wednesday night, a nearly identical forecast, 81 degrees, comfortable humidity, a few clouds again, winds out to center field, this time at 5 to 15 miles per hour. And then finally, the series finale, Thursday night, 7.05 p.m., 83 degrees, humid, chance for a shower or a thunderstorm, and winds once again out to center field at 5 to 15 miles per hour. If you like the cracks about St. Louis, those are mine. Thank you very much. If you like the weather report, follow Alexander Hall on Twitter at Alexander Hall. Follow Cubs Weather on Twitter at Cubs Weather. And as always, we thank Alexander for his weekly contribution to the podcast in the meteorological sense. Yeah, good stuff there, Randall. Um, first trip to St. Louis. Feels kind of late in the year to be heading down there for the first time. Uh, but always memorable Cubs Cardinals down there on the Mississippi. The memorable is certainly one way to put it. I do remember a lot of these. One thing I do want to say about St. Louis, uh, when the Cubs did play the Cardinals for the first time, not all that long ago at the beginning of the month, all the broadcasters, both locally and nationally, they were all saying, wow, it's so unusual that the Cubs aren't playing St. Louis for the first time until early June. Nobody seemed to want to point out that they were doing that because a lockout canceled the first week of the season yeah. and those games have to be shifted off where everyone kept saying, how did this happen? How did the schedule get that way? It got this way because Rob Manfred did not want to come to an agreement with the players and the first week of games had to be moved. We all had the answer. Nobody seemed to want to provide that answer, probably under league edict, but nobody wanted to do that. Well, Randall, I know you do not like Cubs Cardinals, uh, even though it's tough this year, St. Louis and first, the Cubs 13 and a half or 14 games out or whatever it is right now. I love Cubs Cardinals. It's some of my favorite games of the year. And and if there's any silver lining in an awful season like this, beat the piss out of the Cardinals in St. Louis in front of their fans. Go there, hit some big home runs, win the ball games, play spoiler a little bit with St. Louis. I would much rather be caring about every Cubs game and wins and losses and trying to win a pennant. But if it's going to be a tough year, at least beat up St. Louis. The sound of 35,000 Cardinals fans, uh, all of their gaping breathing mouths shutting at once it's an exquisite sound i hope to hear it at least once this weekend i know i probably won't be so lucky but i, I the sound of st louis fans shutting up is wonderful it's it's like crickets it's like the sound of functioning air conditioning it's like sweet music i hope i get to hear it at least once this weekend well i hope once in my life you come with us to st louis to go to a cubs game you've been offered you've been invited you never want to do it you got to show your face there. And what did you call it? The devil's armpit, the devil's armpit, the devil's anus, the devil, whatever <laughs> other, behind the devil's ear, whatever other unpleasant parts of the body you want to use. Yes. You put your blue cap on your coast gay Jersey. You go to Bush stadium with us and you cheer on the team in enemy territory. I, I shake my it one time. I shake my fist at the front gate of Bush stadium. I say, I stand here in defiance of you. Right. You could ride the bull in ballpark village. I could, I, why would I want to do that? Like, what's the appeal? Uh, you have some Impress fun, the I ladies. Guess. Impress the ladies. Down there, again, I ask, what's the appeal? Oh, wow. <laughs> I don't know. But uh, the last time we went to Bush Stadium, uh, Wellington Castillo hit a nice home run in That's extra right. innings, I believe, nearly, to win the game. Nearly 10 years ago at this point. Man, wild. Yeah. That was on yeah. the up the upturn, Randall. We were going up in the world. Yeah, we were starting to get cocky that uh, things are going to get a little bit better. And then, mm -hmm. uh, of course, I've mentioned this a couple of weeks ago on the show, the home run 
that Solaire hit or the two home yes. runs that Solaire hit in St. Louis in 2014. That was one of those moments where it's like, boys, Cubs are about to get good. This is going to be fun here. And uh, obviously the rest speaks for itself. Uh, talk about future Cubs here. Randall, last couple of weeks, you've been doing a prospect spotlight for us. You've got um, a couple of pitchers this week that you want to highlight. Who do we have? So the last couple of weeks, I've gone position players and I've gone in the low to middle levels of the minors. This week, I'm taking it to Des Moines, as Ronan said, where the S's are silent, but the city is buzzing. I have a pair of guys who aren't necessarily prospects, only because relief pitchers tend not to be highly regarded as prospects. But this week, I have a pair of right-handed relief pitchers, both pitching out of the bullpen for Iowa. I have Kane Eckert and Ben Leeper. Kane Eckert spells his name interestingly. That's C-A-Y-N-E, Kane Eckert, U-E-C-K-E-R-T. That's Eckert. Uh, as I said, he is a right-handed relief pitcher. 25 and a third innings for the Iowa Cubs. He has 31 strikeouts. Unfortunately, he also has 31 walks. So that is a one-to-one strikeout-to-walk ratio. That's not where you want to be. I took a look just to see if that had been something that had been plaguing him earlier in the season. Not so much. In the month of June, he has pitched six innings and he has walked eight batters. Control, very much an issue. But prior to this season, this was one of those relievers who was ostensibly on the cusp of being promoted. He has great velocity as a fastball that sits 95-97. He has a hard slider that he throws in the low 90s. Again, excellent strikeout numbers. This year the walks have been a very big problem and you get the feeling that if he's able to get that under control the Des Moines to Chicago shuttle will have a seat with his name on it sooner versus later and then we have a similarly profiled individual by the name of Ben Leeper and I picked him not just because I have a direct line to his agent if I ever want he is also in uh, a right-handed relief pitcher pitching for Iowa his numbers a little more uh a little more favorable. He did spend some time on the minor league IL this year, but in only 19 and a third innings pitch, he has 24 strikeouts and only six walks. And as good as Kane Eckert's fastball velocity is, Ben Leapers is even better. He sits comfortably 95, 96. He touches 98, 99 when he needs to. He also throws a hard slider, a little softer in the upper 80s, still pretty good. And I brought up these two guys because I know we were talking about trade candidates earlier in the show. The Cubs have at least two relievers who I think are probably ticketed for uh, other teams sooner versus later. Just for the record, that is David Robertson, and that's probably Michael Givens as well. Trading those relievers is going to open up not just the 25-man spot, but the 40-man spot. Right now, the Cubs are in a 40-man crunch. They can't make a whole lot of move on the fringes without risking losing players that they would rather not expose to waivers. Again, as you're trading guys off, it creates that perfect hole on the roster to slot in guys from Iowa who you think are worthy of that spot, but you didn't want to engage in the 40-man gymnastics. And I think Ben Leeper, at the very least, is probably tops on that list as far as bullpen. I think Eckert, if he gets the walks under control, will be not particularly far behind. And so that's why I highlighted those two guys this week. I wanted to go pitching. I wanted to go upper levels versus lower levels. And I wanted to go two guys who I think are, as soon as those roster spots open up, I think are probably high on the list to get a shot at the major leagues. And uh, similarly profiled, not in stuff, but in kind of that same spot was Ethan Roberts. Unfortunately, he is out for the season. Finding out this week, he is going to need Tommy John surgery. He went on yeah. the IL uh, about a month ago. The news is not good. He needs Tommy John surgery. All the best to Ethan Roberts. We saw how good the slider and the breaking pitches could be earlier this season. Hopefully he comes back strong. So that is our prospect corner for this week with Kane Eckert and Ben Leeper, a pair of talented, um, if still work in progress, right-handed relievers out of that Iowa Cubs bullpen this season yeah what's the deal with the agent what's the deal with the agent i have connections ronan 
I have connections. That's that's all I'm gonna say. Oh, I know why people. you gotta be fake? Why do I, why why I gotta be I vague? I, okay. I, I don't certain, understand the story. I'm just trying to understand what you're I have, about. I have certain okay. pursuits outside of my personal Twitter account. I am part of larger entities, and some of those larger entities have connections <laughs> to certain individuals. Why are you being give, so vague? What are you, what are you a sovereign you, you citizen to, right, want, right now? Like, okay, you want me to get yeah, right that we have at numbers MLB, we have connections to certain agencies, certain agents, um, and certain other uh, individuals who act in official capacities sometimes they will let us know a player is coming up um so we can be on the lookout sometimes they will even let us know what number he is and in turn they get uh, the art we make that they can pass along and they can broadcast on their channel so nothing uh, surreptitious about it it just sounds so much better when i i keep it vague it sounds so much more, more mysterious randall the person randall the entity randall the, that's all i'm hearing that's right randall randall the entity it chases you in the night randall the yeah. entity uh, yeah, I, well, to get a little bit back on topic a little bit, uh, both those guys, you know, high velocity guys, and we've talked about in the past about how the Cubs have done a great job of really, uh, letting, you know, increasing velocity on, on their pitchers and the minors. And th these are guys that will be coming out of that program, um, that the Cubs will be doing. So it's nice to see the Cubs being a team that has relief pitchers, you know, that are going to throw high nineties after all those years, we see all these, you know, soft tossing relievers it's nice to you know the cubs have a stable of guys they can call up yeah and look some of the guys they've tried in the bullpen this year have not landed it's not gone well they've moved on from them um even guys they've traded for other players who they've acquired it hasn't worked out with but that's part of it again you're trying to piece together pieces that are going to be fitting into the mix big picture and these are two names that we should see before the season comes to a close. So good stuff there randall uh one other cubs thing and then i want to pivot here before we bring this thing home number 74 Randall, has anybody worn number 74 in Cubs history? Two individuals have donned the number 74, 74 as some call it, in the long story history of Chicago Cubs jersey numbers. One coach, one player, Coach Jose Castro wore it in the 2014 season. Uh, he was one of uh, Ricky Renteria's coaching staff. I know Jeremy, a big Ricky Renteria guy. And then uh, one player wore it, and that, of course, was relief pitcher Trevor Regal in the 2021 season. He wore number 74. It did not especially work out for him. He is with a different organization now. Two individuals to have worn the number 74 in Chicago Cubs history. Trevor McGill and Tyler McGill. Uh, Tyler McGill's brother, who's been a successful major league pitcher. Yeah, good stuff there. We're getting into some of the thin digits here as we get higher up. Uh, all right, guys. Cubs related, anything else we want to bring to the forefront? Then I got another baseball thing to bring, bring this in. You know, again, I'm just hoping the Cubs can make it a series in St. Louis this weekend. Don't, don't, don't let the, the St. Louis Cardinals and their mouth breathing fans just have a picnic this weekend, make it tough on them somehow. That's all I'm asking. I, I'll give whatever's left of my, my charred darkened soul to make that happen. I don't have a whole lot left because I keep trying to do this every time the Cubs play the Cardinals and the Brewers. So there's not a whole lot of soul left in here, but what's, what little is left I will give to, to not just make it a picnic down by the arch this, this weekend. Yeah. I, I got two short things. One, I just want to reiterate, uh, my previous point of, you know, we're getting to July. Let's see some of these young guys. Let, let's, let's see some guys, you know, who knows, maybe somebody will be good. Maybe somebody will be bad. And that, uh, um, it, well, I just want to see some of the younger players play. And I don't know where you're going with your other thing, but I do want to say that, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, the Cubs had an issue today in the bullpen, Chris Young, and, uh, and hopefully best wishes to Chris Young, who apparently, Something happened with the bullpen. Trainers went out. Game was delayed. Had to be hospitalized today. Maybe it's a heat stroke. I don't know. I don't want to speculate on that, actually, so I probably shouldn't. Um, so best wishes to Chris Young, the Cubs bullpen coach. 
Good call there. Scary. Anytime anybody in the bullpen is feeling lightheaded, dizzy. Uh, we've seen that with some guys. David Bodie dealing with similar symptoms down in the minor leagues. It is very scary. And uh, yeah, good call there, Jeremy. Best wishes to him and his family. Let's get past this and get them all healthy. Also, your first point there, all I was hearing in my head was move on from Hayward. Let's get rid of Jason. Get some young bodies out there. It's like, but your point's right. It's like the known bad entities, time to cut bait with that. Let's see what's here with some of these young guys and they might not work out and that's fine if they don't we know it's not going to work out anymore with jason hayward so you got to move on from that um one thing that i wanted to touch on in major league baseball shohei otani what he did this week i don't think has gotten enough attention so i want to take a minute and talk about it tuesday night otani has eight runs batted in he hits a couple of multi-run scoring home runs one in the sixth inning one in the ninth inning to tie up the ball game, keep his team in it. They end up losing in extra innings. The next day, he goes out as a starting pitcher. He goes eight shutout innings with 13 strikeouts in a win against Kansas City. Look, I know they play on the West Coast. The games don't start till 10 o'clock in New York. I know the team isn't very good after their hot start. What Otani is doing is absolutely video game crazy. And I just wish more people were talking about it. That's insane. What he did offensively and to follow it up with a dominant pitching performance. Unbelievable. As the individual who picked Shohei Otani correctly as last year's AL MVP, we are simultaneously giving him all the attention he deserves and not giving him enough attention. He's learning what Mike Trout has known for years, that if you are one of the few bright spots on an otherwise bad angels team, you just kind of disappear, but you, you said it best. What we are seeing is otherworldly. What we are seeing is something we have not seen a major league player do in a century, the better part of a century at the very least. It is insane what he's doing. Any amount of attention paid to him is too little attention paid to him. Just just an otherworldly player, a world-class athlete on both sides of the ball, and we are privileged to get to see him do it in the here and the now. Yeah, and, and one thing I didn't realize is that we're already coming up. Shohei Otani is going to be a free agent after next year. Mm. Um, so we're coming up on that fast and for his sake and for our sake, I would <laughs> like for him to get out of Anaheim, you know, because it's hard to watch those games late at night and they're not been good enough to be kind of showcased and Mike Trout doubled down and he's going to pay a ton of money, but Shohei Otani, you're going to be a free agent. You're going to get paid. I just can't imagine how much money Shohei Otani is going to make. Yeah. Go somewhere where everybody can see you. Hopefully it's, you know, Wrigley field. We were on the last six teams. But uh, go somewhere everybody can see you and everybody can appreciate you. I am I am thinking right now, Cubs were a finalist for Shohei Otani services when he came over from Japan. Uh, and one of the few reasons that he that they did not land him was because obviously the National League did not have the DH at the time. And the Cubs would have had to use him in the outfield or at first base, which unlikely because they had Rizzo on the team. They would have had to use him in the outfield in order to get his bat in the lineup. Not the case anymore, Shohei. You can DH all you want at beautiful and historic Wrigley Field. Uh, come on over. Come on out to Wrigley. You will not be ignored for better or for worse. You will not be ignored like you are in Anaheim. So, you know. Uh, if you need recommendations on places to live, places to eat, feel free to let us know on Twitter because I know Shohei Otani is on Twitter at BTYL podcast. Uh, yeah, I would be all for that. You want to accelerate a rebuild, signing one of the greatest athletes on the planet would sure do that. It's just unfathomable. 
what he's doing. I mean, even as a kid, when you were playing video games and you had video game numbers, you weren't allowed to have two way players in things like the show. That's a recent thing that they've been able to introduce that because of Otani. I, the, the guy, I mean, I was watching the game Tuesday night where he hit those home runs. I was texting both of you. I was losing my mind because he's coming up. The team's down three. There's two guys on three run home run in the sixth inning, three run home run in the ninth inning, the truly badass moments. Then the next day he's a Cy Young caliber pitcher. It's just, it's awesome. But you got to think like, what if he was a Yankee? Just imagine the attention that he would have if he was in New York instead of Anaheim. If he was a Yankee, he would have been named king of the United States years ago. If, if he was a Yankee, nobody would ever stop talking about him. Again, it is, it is only because he's all the way out there on the West Coast on a team that is otherwise not very good that he does not quite get the attention he deserves. If he were anywhere further east of that, anywhere east of the Rockies, he would he would get every ounce of attention he deserves. It's, it's Again, it's insane. He has a rule. They codified a rule in the new CBA almost solely on his basis right now that your starting pitcher can remain in the game as the designated hitter once he is done pitching. It is literally the Shohei Otani rule. They say, you know, it's because other two-way players are on their way. Sure, it is the Shohei Otani rule. They codified his skill set into the new CBA because he is so damn good and because his skill set is so damn unique. The unfathomable thing, I mean, it's unfathomable how good he is, and I agree with you, Ronan. But then the, the unfathomable thing really is to me the fact that the Angels can't win with him I know. and Trout. Yeah. It, it, it's, it, they're so bad. I've been watching a lot of Anaheim because I go, wow, there's a lot of players in that lineup that I like to watch. I think this team, I want to see him be competitive. Bullpen is awful. And when your bullpen is awful, you're, you're out of games that you should be winning. It, and it shows you in baseball that ro- the roster is very important. It's not like – you know, Michael Jordan's not out there dominating the ball or LeBron or Steph Curry. You have to build a roster. You have to have – you can't just have a team full of – you know, the White Sox had this for a while and kind of still – it's like, okay, you have a bunch of studs, but then it's like the rest of your rosters just blank. You're putting out all – like, but you have to build teams. Like, you need the Tommy Lestellas of the world. You need guys that are going to come off the bench and provide things. You know, Chris Coughlin, we mentioned that when the Cubs – the Cubs always had, like, a good bench kind of in that term period. You have to build a full roster. Yeah, absolutely. Depth is critical. You t- teams can't stay healthy anymore. Guys aren't healthy. You've got to have a lot of depth on your team. And I think that is a good point on the White Sox. Because they've had so many injuries, the lack of depth has been really apparent. And that's a team that is still very much in a playoff picture, but they're not where we thought they were going to be as we get ready to turn the calendar into July. And you're looking at Cleveland going, huh, maybe that team's pretty good. And this is going to be an uphill battle for the White Sox the last two months of the year. Yeah, and Minnesota's still up there, too, even and though Minnesota, they've been struggling yeah. lately. Totally. Um, any other MLB thoughts we want to get out there? I just, I've been watching a lot of Angels. Otani is incredible. I had to get that one in. Anything else in Major League Baseball have both of yours' attention? You know what I, I'm waiting? You know what I'm waiting on? I'm waiting on the uh, the All-Star jerseys and the All-Star hats. I, right. I tend to be disappointed in them, but I do like the reveal every year. I do like seeing what they've uh, incorporated from the local team. I don't know that the Dodgers have so strong of a visual brand or that LA has so strong of a visual brand that there's going to be a whole lot. But again, that's one of the, uh, the, the dopey things I do uh, look forward to each year is the, the batting practice jerseys, the hats and whatever for cocktail jerseys that they're going to wear during the all-star game now. Yeah, that's terrible. I'll go back to the days of everybody wearing their own Jersey. And if we want to talk about, 
Yes. And, uh, you know, I don't mind the batting practice warm-ups, whatever you want to put that out there. In the All-Star game, everybody should be wearing their own jerseys. That's just how I feel. It might make me old-timey, but that is one thing that I hate that they've changed. Jeremy, you are 100% correct. What I loved about the All-Star game is you had all the white jerseys lined up on one side and all the gray jerseys lined up on the other side. And having the players wear actual All-Star game jerseys during the All-Star game ruins that. I loved them wearing uh, their their own jerseys, their own team jerseys out there on the field. Yeah, and it, it had the team branding. It was cool to see that. Uh, even the rare time, Randall, you'd have a Cub and a Cardinal on the infield together, but working on the same team for that one night. Uh, I'm with you, Jeremy. I would liken that in college basketball when they got rid of the uh, team courts for the NCAA tournament. The host team used to be their court. Think about that crazy Illinois-Arizona game, the big-ass DePaul logo in the middle of the court at Rosemont. That's classic. Now all the courts look the same. You put the game on TV, you don't know what city they're even playing in anymore. Bring back wearing team jerseys in the All-Star game. Bring back the college basketball courts for the NCAA tournament. I'll die on that hill. Yeah, I agree with you. You know, making everything, you know, monotonous and the same. I know it's super corporate of them all to do it, but like that's not for the better. Sometimes it's just better to leave things, you know, kind of the way they were and, uh, it, it, to me, it's better. You know, it had more character, more style. I liked it. Actually, one thing I always kind of enjoyed, and this kind of goes, is like when the catcher's gear, maybe, maybe my brain just couldn't handle it, but when the catcher's gear and the pitcher matched up, I always liked that. Like if, like if a, you know, uh, two blue teams were like the Rangers were pitching the Royals or something, because like I hated it when like there's like a cardinal behind the plate and the Cubs were pitching. I always needed like the catcher to be the same as the pitcher. Yeah, you like that symmetry. Yeah. Well, We'll end with that. Uh, let's hope the Cubs do some business down in St. Louis this weekend. We're going to be at Wrigley Field, Jeremy, next week. I'm really looking forward to that Cubs-Reds. You and I got a job, though, Jeremy. Between now and Wednesday, we've got to push, pull, tow Randall to Wrigley Field. Whatever we got to do to get him out there. We need you there, Randall. The Cubs need you. The three of us have not been at a baseball game at Wrigley Field together since 2015. 2017. 2017. Okay. Yeah, the, the year that uh, Gallagher Way opened. Okay. Uh, we were at a Cubs-Pirates game to start that season. You you walked into Gallagher Way and you said, you know, this isn't bad. They integrated it into the ballpark okay. It's not terrible. So well, 2017. I'm a, I'm a yum-yum donuts guy. I, I Yeah, that comes back to me now. After the World Series, I wanted to get back early. Don't think they won that day. No, and, no. no. Um, but it's been a long time since the three of us have been at Wrigley Field. I want to see that happen. I don't know when we're going to record next, number 75, but we'll get that figured out. we got the holiday coming up, lots going on. I'm excited about the fourth, but we'll get some type of a pot, even if it's a short one next week when I'm home. And uh, let's get out to Wrigley Field, boys, and see some Cubs baseball.